This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are pretty much dissecting Warren Buffett-style investing for the last six years. Heck yeah. Um, pretty much, uh, <laughs> you know, we laugh because Charlie Munger thinks that you wouldn't have anything to talk about the rest of the semester once you say, all you got to do is understand the company, make sure it has a moat, good management, buy with a margin of safety, and you're good to go. What else is there to talk about? Well, nothing. it turns out there's a lot. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> you know, actually, there's nothing actually, else to talk there's about. There's nothing else to talk about. You're right except about that. Those things which um, are a lifetime. They're a lifetime of study. But the beauty, I think, is for you guys is that you really can dial investing down to those four simple things. And you can apply that. To real estate investing, you can apply it to bonds. You can apply it to short-term trading if you if you got into that, and you can apply it to long-term investing. And frankly, Lee Lu, we've said, has said that there really isn't any other form of investing out there that you can identify that's successful for you know long periods of time—10 years, 20 years, 30 years—and mm. we all the time see people who believe they've found nirvana in even day trading now is mm -hmm. such a hot ticket, mm -hmm. right? Some of you are probably listening to this, but but you're thinking, ah, oh, screw that. We're going day trading. We got friends who are making a fortune day trading. Or um, like crypto trading or-, or crypt Yeah, trading you know, crypto. GME trading still to this day. Yeah. I mean, dang, man. I, I, I mean, more power to it if you are, are part of the group that's successful. Um, the problem and really the difference between investing and- and trading is that trading is gambling and investing, if you do it right, is a sure deal. As as sure as you can get on the planet, right? Yeah, with, not with, sure. Not sure. With, with but, not sure. But like with confidence, you're making choices with confidence that can, yes, be affected, of course, by all the, uh, what does Charlie say? The vicissitudes of life. And I think they the don't go away. They don't go away, and they and they can take down the occasional investment. And I don't know anyone of us that's done this for a long time that hasn't had investments go bad. But we've also had the experience of making a mistake, right, on on an investment, and having time work in our favor. Um, in fact, a, a guy that I know who is a very very successful real estate investor down in the Caribbean islands, which can't be a that can't be a walk in the park, right? I mean, it's got to be a little iffy. And he said that, you know, if you follow the basic rules uh, of real estate, which is location, 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 <laughs> time will fix your errors, which is ah, brilliant when okay. you think about it. Okay. So we, we have the same thing here. If you follow- but I mean, the trick there is you have to be able to wait out the time. You have to wait it out. Which is why so many real estate investors slash speculators- in the financial crisis, lost their shirts, lost everything because mm -hmm. they were leveraged to the hilt because that's how you made money. That's how you financed right. enormous real estate developments. Right. That's still how you finance enormous real estate developments. 
And you can't wait it out. You can't wait it out. Or you could have waited it out. And I'll bet you there's thousands of people who look back on it and say, yeah, I could have waited it out. I, I could have tightened the belt and found ways to pay, maybe sell off this real estate and pay down that real estate. Hmm. But instead, I bailed, right? I bailed out. Um, and that happens in stock investing all the time because people don't have uh, a lot of confidence in their decision to own that company for the long term. And if you don't have a lot of confidence and the stock price starts going down because of COVID, it gets very scary. You start to think, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, you know, what am I doing in this company yeah. that are going down? Yeah. What am I doing in the stock market that's going down? Right. And by the same token, you've got these day traders and and I mean people who truly believe in the dream, right? I mean, just talking to a real a good friend of mine who I respect who has just sold out to this idea of day trading because he's seen that he can take $2,000 and make $250 in two hours and has... That sounds amazing. I know. It's like, oh, show me. <laughs> like, wait a second. Don't just say that. And <laughs> oh, you pass didn't it on go by. there. Oh, I'm you super. I'm, I'm super. In. You know, see, I'm the most risk averse person on the planet. I will never do whatever that thing is. But I'm like gossiply intrigued yeah well i mean the thing is that's that's how it strikes all of us it's like ooh, pirate's gold it is it's like ooh. <laughs> now there is a problem and that is when you make 250 dollars with a two thousand dollar risk in no, two hours you make two thousand dollars on 250 dollars is what no no said. the other way around i said did i say it wrong yeah oh sorry it's i was dollars. it's about 12 percent in two hours. Oh, okay. Well, that's still... Oh, you make $250 on $2,000. Yeah. Okay, maybe that is what you said, and I just missed so it. So it's about 12% in two hours. And my my dear friend is like, uh, yeah, it's totally low risk. I'm like, mm, okay. And um, what kind of rate of return are you looking at in a year on something like this, if you did this every day? And he went... Well, you know, we're just targeting 48% a year. <laughs> oh. I said, okay. You know that the best with investors- With low risk. With low risk, you know, 48% <laughs> a year. Um, but then he's like, at the, by the same token going, and you, you, there's no way you lose money on these things. So I was like, okay, so- Whenever you can anybody do, says there's no way you lose, which right. by the way, every time you say it, I'm like, well, uh, it's just not possible. It isn't possible. You are going to have times when you lose money. But the difference between investing and gambling is when you're gambling, I guarantee you you're going to lose money. And you're going to lose it in a direct proportion to the risk you're taking to get a huge return. And when you're investing, the proportions change dramatically. Yeah, you're going to have you're going to take some losses, but you overall as a good investor, you shouldn't lose money. You should have positive returns over 10 years. What's and this like low risk situation that this person is? It's a dream. Uh. It's a dream. <laughs> it's a dream based on backtesting and seeing that over a long period of time, this trade, this particular trade works out well almost every single time. And so, um, you know, he wants so, to go forward on this. So why aren't you all over it if it's so amazing and low risk? Well, a couple of reasons. First off, I've tried day trading. 
I spent a week with a guy who's really good at it and who had a like a in this particular case a three year track record of using a maximum of fifteen thousand dollars at risk, um, but he was trading the the S and P E mini they call it, which is a leveraged uh, risk. So you're you're getting a very very high return on on leveraged money, and so he'd be he'd be betting a thousand he'd be betting fifteen thousand dollars a day essentially, but he would never let himself lose it all right he would he would sort of bet it in chunks and um i watched him consistently make a thousand dollars a day on fifteen thousand bucks and i'm sure everybody sitting here listening to it would like to know how do you do that because that's really awesome and i sat right next to this guy and i did the exact trade he did as quickly as i could after i saw what he did and i made nothing every day and then I tried hmm. to follow the rules that he gave me to do this. And I realized he wasn't following his own rules. If I followed the rules, I broke even or lost money. And he didn't follow them. He would anticipate based on the rules and just had a gut feel for it and was one of those people who does well and had accumulated, I don't know, three or $400,000 as far as he told me. So I don't, I don't know for sure, but he told me that based on this $15,000 and he'd accumulate the money over the 15 and just put it in long-term investing. Um, so I don't know that it's true, by the way, number one. <laughs> I don't know that that's true. I just know that I watched him for several days do it okay. and make money. I also know from a study in the state of Washington that 99% of the people who do leverage trading uh, lost their money over a 10-year period of time. Yeah, that so, was my question is if this person held on to that money i don't know i didn't stay in okay. touch right so i just don't know i do know that there there are some people that you grow up with actually who got into this and did really really well made um at least a million dollars and then got out and don't do it anymore and there may be a reason for that right in yeah other words, i also know Vegas, some people who made a lot of money and then lost it all because right. they were still doing it when the market crashed and right. the rule the rules they were following didn't apply on that day. Right. Or that exactly. several days or whatever it was that I don't know the details. Exactly. So it's like it, it it's like it's gambling. It works for a while until it doesn't. Right. I don't right. know, but I'm like <laughs> at the same time, you know, it's so, if you're somebody and, who can hit it on those days that it works, like that sounds pretty great, right? And you've got these guys on on Wall Street Bets that, on Reddit that have, before they became world famous, some of them did make millions of dollars mm -hmm. in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the web is full of cautionary tales of people who are telling you, I, yeah, I tried it and got smoked. So I guess in my own experience, I don't know how to do it and haven't been successful at it. Um, I've done some swing trading and been successful with that, but have found that long-term investing is more secure. What's and swing trading? That's what I wrote about in, in rule number one. That's kind of the name of it. When you use um, daily inputs on technical signals. Oh, okay. So using the arrows yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah. But I don't do it anymore, and people ask me. Swing meaning like the swing of the market momentum. Yeah, the market momentum changing, and you sort of are catching that because those fundamentals are 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 trying to track momentum. Right, exactly. 
And it works really well when the market's going up. And then it's just trading. It's, I it's didn't know the, it was called that. It's a death of a thousand cuts when the market's going going sideways to down or that stock is going sideways to down. And I wrote about that in, in Rule 1, the death of mm-hmm. a thousand cuts come from not doing this in a company that's very undervalued and is very likely to go up. Because if it's going sideways to down, you're going to get smoked. By the way, Dad, I got to tell you, that book holds up. That is a good book. <laughs> and that was written, what, definitely more than ago? 10 years ago, 15, yeah, 15 years, years ago? ago? Yeah. That book holds up. I'm proud of that book. It's still out there in in print. and I know. Still getting sold. It's a good book. Yep, it is. But I've, I've just, you know, you evolve over time. I mean, Warren Buffett's evolved over time. And, and like we've talked about earlier in the podcast, he he was doing trading a, a lot of the time when he couldn't find these wonderful businesses that were on sale. And early on, he would sell these businesses at the price that we would buy them today. Um, although they were probably not great businesses, so we probably wouldn't be interested in them in the first place. But the price he was selling them for was what we would consider a margin of safety price today. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only difference being that they were not wonderful businesses. Then, and Charlie got with Warren and said, "Look, you know the the days of Ben Graham being able to find you know these cigar butts to buy." Uh, laying around on the street where they were they were worth more than their net cash. Um, I mean, you could buy them for less than net cash, excuse me. And, uh, you know, this, those days are gone, Warren, by 1960. Uh, you know, if you really want to do this long term, you're going to have to think about maybe buying wonderful businesses and paying a fair price for them rather than buying fair businesses at a wonderful price. So essentially what Buffett was doing is buying fair businesses at a wonderful price and selling them at a fair price. And Charlie mm-hmm. wants to buy wonderful businesses at a fair price and hold them forever. And that was the secret that created the enormous Berkshire rates of return. And I understood that pretty well before I wrote Rule 1, but it's hard to really, it's hard to get going if you don't have other people's money, right? It's hard to get going. And what Buffett did and what Munger did is they both pooled other people's money. And, you know, that's what I did also when I first started off. But they've made that almost impossible now, um, the, at least in the United States. And usually the securities people are even harder all around the rest of the world. So it's for whatever reason, good or bad, they've made it very difficult for a person to start off by managing other people's money and being able to take a percentage of profits. They've made it so you can't take the profit percentage, which makes it really hard to, to really do what I did and what Warren did. And, you know, yeah, I just I just have to say that's not 100 percent true across the board, but the, the, there's a lot of complicated regulations around it. But in general, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I really wish we could influence the uh, the state AGs like the, the SEC is pretty open to the idea of using a small amount of money with unaccredited investors and taking a percentage, I think. They're okay with it, but you keep it small. But um, And I'm not a lawyer, so <laughs> I leave it to you, Danielle, to tell me if that's true. But the state guys have regulated and squeezed it down in most states. And that's a lot because of federalism, because of the way the U.S. is set up. So, yeah, states regulate that stuff. Yep. And unfortunately, they decided to be tougher on it than the 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 national group again because of federalism states why would have that, con- why would they have want more to make control 
states can do whatever they want. They can also make it easier. I know. I wish they would. So everybody write to your state AG and tell them you want the right to be able to have a small <laughs> fund and take a percentage of profits from unaccredited investors and see what they tell you. One of my favorite states legal things that they've done is Wyoming invented the LLC, the limited liability company. Wyoming was the first state to have a legal corporate form that was incredibly easy to start and open and had essentially almost zero requirements as to what you had to do for them. And it just, because obviously, because we're from Wyoming, I just love it so much because it's so Wyoming. It's so like, just do your own thing. Good luck. If you get in trouble, we're not going to bail you out. It's funny, you guys, really, I think you could have a big influence if you did a little writing here to your state AG about this issue, because they, the SEC has started to be comfortable and many states are starting to be comfortable with the idea of crowdfunding. Which means they're basically loosening up the idea of the little guy going out and getting money from other little guys. And you can do it in the form of some sort of corporation or LLC like Danielle's talking about. But they still haven't loosened up the idea of doing an LLC or a limited partnership and having you take a percentage of profit as a partnership. They want you to incorporate and take a profit. I mean, there's reasons for that. I guess. But I I think it sucks. And I wish that they would stop that because it prohibits – it keeps a good investor who's a little guy from accumulating capital and – Um, obviously you can manage somebody else's money, but you're going to get 2%, you know, that's, you're going to get 2% of their money that's under management. What you're talking about is, is you you take a management. I don't want to get into the legal structure. This is very much like, it makes me very uncomfortable because this is so individual to each person and what state they're in and their goals and who they are. And so do not take any legal advice from anything that's been said at all that would be a very bad decision so um, in general there are multiple rules and multiple exceptions to the rules and uh, you should definitely get a qualified attorney to figure and one of the reasons there are so many rules is because of people like bernie madoff who died recently he died recently and um and uh, we were just thinking in jail in prison in prison i wonder what he was thinking about as he, you know, as he knew he was probably, as he knew he was going to die. I'm, I'm wondering, because he was 82, right? So he had, you know, probably got some, he got old age. And so you know, we're wondering what he was thinking about, you know, was he thinking, hey, uh, it was worth it. You know, I spent, whatever, seven <laughs> years in jail, but I lived no. this in. I, it's only been seven jail? years? I don't know. When, no when way. When did he go to jail? I have no idea. It's made Look off that before thing up right away. It seems longer than seven years for sure. Wasn't it part of the whole financial crisis? Like 2009 roughly? Um, it seems like a long time ago to me. God, when did he go to jail? 2009. All right, he'd been in jail. Yeah, because years. I think the crisis caused his returns to be uh, illogical. And so when they started asking for how he was still creating these things. I think right, that's kind of how it right. went. Well, um, the, the returns, he couldn't show anything. It became, yeah, it became, people started really asking questions yeah, then because yeah. everybody lost some money, almost everybody. And, um, and so that pulled the whole, the whole thing down on himself. 
But, you know, I think you said something I thought that was pretty important. That is that his his son committed suicide. His family was torn apart. I mean, it can't it can't have been OK doing 11 years in prison. I mean, it just the whole it's and you horrible. think, OK, and this is a guy a lot of people don't realize this, but Madoff was a successful money manager. He was very good and had a very, very big reputation with yeah, billions I of dollars that. under management. Because to me, he was just like the guy who had the Ponzi scheme, but he was actually successful for quite a long time. I mean, long I time. knew I knew that he was well respected in the financial world, which is completely nuts and insane and horrific. He was like on the board of NASDAQ, I think. He oh, yeah. or, on, or the New York Stock. He was on board. I of think he was a chairman of one NASDAQ, of those actually one of those stock exchanges. Like the guy was not just quote unquote like respected. The guy was not just like at a lot of charity functions. The guy was fully deeply into the regulation of the financial world. And I think that's how it's almost like when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> the most aggressive snake oil salesman like gets right in your face and says, this is snake oil almost. And he was almost like that. Like he was there so obviously public and involved with the financial infrastructure that nobody was able to, well, I shouldn't say nobody because a number of people raised concerns about him to the SEC over many years, but they were ignored because he was so powerful, because nobody oh. wanted to be the one who cha who officially challenged him. Nobody wanted to be the one who said, you have to produce a list of what stocks you've owned. I mean, it's crazy. Well, I'm actually, I'm wrong. Madoff, Madoff may have started the scheme all the way back in the 1970s. Oh, okay. he started, so that's what I thought. But he started off legit. I mean, he started a penny stock brokerage in 1960. And that grew up into this company called Bernie Madoff or Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities. And um, he was the chairman of that company until he got arrested. And they ended up being one of the top market makers in, in Wall Street. And that means they bypass specialist firms and they directly executed orders oh, over the counter. That's how and that's it. how he got away with so much of this stuff. That they were, He could execute his own orders without anybody else being in the middle. Yeah, they had that secret like fourth floor or whatever floor it was that yeah. nobody else was allowed to go on to. Yeah, but apparently he, he admitted that he had uh, been falsifying these records all the way back into the nineteen mid-1980s. Oh, well, I'm very glad you looked that up and we didn't eulogize him as somebody who was once a legit successful Well, if he didn't investor. start until the 1980s, he had 25 years of legit. Right? Started in well, 1960 and went all the way to 1985 before he started faking things, if that's true. I, I, yeah. I think he was legit for a long time, actually, and but who, maybe not. Well, so the question is, 
he's let's say I, I I don't know the circumstances of how he died, but because I frankly don't care to look he got, it up. He got he got he got sick. I, he got terminal, okay. and he asked care. for he asked for a compassionate Fine. release, and they turned Whatever. him down. Okay, good. I don't care. So <laughs> he's not worth my mental energy. Um, but what I do wonder, and what we were discussing before we started recording, was whether or not he felt regretful as he was dying, or if the good life, the billionaire life, was so great for the amount of years that he lived it, well, that now, he was thinking, see, well, I was thinking maybe it was, it was only- worth it. See, I was thinking it was only about 15 years where he was being a fraudster. And let's say that he didn't start this whole fraud until mid-1985. Um, that means he got a he lived a life from 1960 until 2009. How many years is that? That's 49 40, years. 49 years. 49 years. Yeah, I'm he thinking wasn't living people. like he wasn't a billionaire in the '60s. Anyway, okay. who cares? The point is, it was a long time. He was like a wealthy guy. Well, for one a long reason time. to care would be to ask yourself: Would you do that if you could get away with it for 30 years? Is it worth 11 years in prison and the suicide of your child and the destruction of your family? Would it be worth it for 30 years of wealth, fortune, fame? Living at the top of the big of the biggest financial city in the world, you're on the top of the heap for 30 years. Is that worth it? What do you think? Of course not. Why are you even the fact that you said it twice gives me pause. Does it worth it to you? <laughs> well, I mean, look, we we almost worship people who do that. I mean, look at the movies that come out of Hollywood that are. In effect, what are you trying to say here? Are you saying you think it's you can you can understand? I'm thinking that there are people listening to our podcast right now who are thinking, yeah, I might do that. I I might be I might be willing to do that. Like like as if an uh, if there was a drug an Olympic athlete could take and get away with, that oh. would guarantee him a gold medal. <laughs> a huge percentage of Olympic athletes said they'd do it. Yeah, even or if they would die seven or eight years later. Four. Or what was it? Five Tour de France wins, six Tour. I have no idea. Okay, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Holy so, smokes! What do they have in common? They are psychopaths slash sociopaths. They don't care about the emotions, the experience, hurting other people. They don't care about any of it. So well, if Madoff was like that, maybe he doesn't care that his son killed himself and his entire family is ruined. And in complete misery, assuming they weren't in on it at all, which I know there are questions around that, but let's assume they weren't. Maybe, well, think maybe if, he really didn't care. And in that case, yeah, I think he, I think maybe he didn't feel so, I don't know, maybe prison was terrible. I have no idea. I hope so. But yeah, there are people who, who don't feel human remorse and who don't have empathy and those people are I mean, out this there. This is, is such an interesting philosophical question to me. Um, I, I think the, uh, the the glib answer is, of course not. You would never do it, right? But that's a glib answer. An awful lot of people do. And I don't know if they're all sociopaths. I mean, if you feel really? bad about what you did, then you aren't. If you, if you say that, you know, you've been suffering for 30 years under the, under the guilt of, 
cheating all of these people, knowing that someday you're going to pay the piper, you're probably not a sociopath. You're probably a human being that didn't quite have enough integrity to step away from an opportunity that presented itself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't I mean, know. Jesus, we got movies called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid about people who rob trains. And yeah, they're killed in the end, but we really like these guys, Paul Newman and, <laughs> and, and, and Robert Redford. I mean, how many other movies I mean, have you There ever you go. Seen? Think about that movie. Those are guys that the reason that movie is so great is they care. They have empathy. They have empathy. They for, care and they try about, not to hurt anybody. They try not to hurt anybody. Like, and they think just an insurance company. I just, I keep, a, I keep like flashing back to the Lance Armstrong interview with Oprah where he just literally can't express any compassion, any identification with his victims. And he had victims. He hurt, he destroyed people's lives. Man, alive, what a what an interesting thing to think about if you're thinking about um making money. I mean, here's here's the thing, you guys. The reason I'm kind of thinking about this is that if you learn rule one investing and you're good at it, you will make money and people will find out. They'll find out you're doing well. Maybe. And there, I think there's a decent chance. I mean, honest to God, I think people will swim shark infested waters to get to somebody that can make 15% a year and hand them their money. Yeah, it's, so, it's all a giant maybe, but yeah, it's if a giant that maybe. happens. And, and I'm just thinking, you guys need to understand that by, by taking on the idea of being a rule one type investor, following these rules that Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett laid down, you could very well find yourself in a Madoff-like situation. It's not impossible. Like as in the bottom falls out. As in, yes, well, as in you've, you've done very, very well. Now people have come to you and said, please manage my money. You've yeah. decided to do that. Yeah, yeah. You started managing other people's money. And then you make a mistake when the bottom falls out. Because the bottom is always going to fall out. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in your own, on anything you did wrong. But the bottom has fallen out on Warren Buffett multiple times over 60 years, many times. And one of the uh, criteria that they make for being willing to own a, an investment is, am I willing to own this if it goes down 50% mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just sit there? And the answer better be yes, because it will one of these days. And so if you're managing other people's money and the market goes down aggressively and they're taking marked-to-market losses, you're going to catch heat. And you're going to think, you know, I don't, you may think, I don't want this heat. This is, this is wrecking my career. This is making my reputation go bad. People will want to pull their money out of here. Can I do something that will prevent me from having to take these losses? And if you become a good investor, you're going to find that there are ways that you can use leverage. You can move money around. If you're clever and smart, right? If you <laughs> Warren puts it like this one, he said, he said, basically, you want to hire people, you know, you want people working with you, you want people managing your money, who are super smart, super talented, and super hardworking. That's what you want. Now, what you got to watch out for is you get somebody who's super smart and super hardworking, 
and they're not, they don't have integrity. And then you've oh, got yeah. problems. What, I felt like something was missing. Yeah. It's in, all right. Or, yeah. You want them with, a, with great integrity. Yeah. If they're super smart and they're working hard and they don't have integrity, they're going to damage you. Yeah. Well, it's like because we, they're going to have an opportunity, and they're going to be able to find a way to do it. And that's that's the thing that Madoff I found mean, is that he didn't want to wreck his reputation, and he knew he could do it. And it's he a could really get good point because I think actually, like, it's a in a way it distances us from the perpetrators to just think like, oh, they're different from us. They have mm-hmm. massive psychological could, could problems. Never be me. It could never could be never me. be me. Never be me. And I think it is worth that kind of examination and preparation in that situation. What's my plan? How do I, how do I stick to my principles, to who I am, to, to not be pulled to make that maybe easy little, uh, little jigger, little shift Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. That then leads to another one that leads, then leads to another mm-hmm. one, leads to a bigger one, Yeah, because once you do one, then you got to cover that one up. Right, right. Because then you're not <laughs> trustworthy anymore if anybody finds out about anybody it. Anybody finds out about that, yeah. you're dead. So now you cover that one up because that's better than, yeah. you know, having the whole thing tumble. And now you're in. And now you're into effectively I, a pyramid scheme or something like that. I will say that I think since Madoff... It's a lot harder to do that. Thank so just God for everybody for people, listening yes. who's going like, oh, like everybody's going to cheat everybody once the market drops. It's a lot harder to hide that stuff yeah. now. Um, now what's happening, just, just to put a fine point on that, now because of Madoff, a fund manager operating correctly will have to have an administrator who is separate from his fund management company, a separate independent company that's job is to administrate your fund, which means um, you might have to pay twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year at a minimum for this company to uh, verify that the money going into the fund has gone in properly, the money coming out of the fund has come out properly, that the trades are real, that they have full access to your trading broker, and their job is to confirm for your investors every month what you are mark to market. And they're basically putting themselves on the line that that number is correct every month. And then you have another company entirely separate from the administrator who is your uh, accounting firm that does an audit every year. And they, they're, as I said, completely separate from the administrator who is saying these are the right numbers. And that auditor confirms those numbers and that way, the investors know they're not getting made off. But think about what that means. It means it's much harder to start as an individual new guy. And maybe that's why the AGs in these various states have made it so much tougher. They basically said you can't do that. You can't take a percentage of people's money. Um, you can take a fee. Because they they understand that you can't do that with five or six investors with fifty, sixty thousand dollars You can't pay $20,000 a year out to an administrator who's going to be a third-party administration of your fund. Nobody's going to be a third party. Your your investors could be made off by you. Your investors when you're could little. be made off by you. Yeah, when you're little. They could show... If I, were, if, if, if I started a little fund, I had six investors, I got $100,000, 
there's nobody administrating me and I'm I'm Oh, I got you. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so I and can those, produce those the numbers. And those smaller ones also they don't have to be audited. So No, they don't have to be audited. Yeah. And that's the, probably why the AG wants to keep a a real limit on it because they don't want to deal with a big blow up under their under their watch. I I yeah, got there, that. There's I reasons that. for all this stuff. So I guess I guess maybe just to wrap up this idea you know, and integrity is so fundamental to good investing that I think, honestly, that people who don't have good integrity ultimately end up having a real problem in their portfolio because they're not capable of really understanding where their weaknesses are, where things can go wrong. They're, they're you know, people who do this kind of stuff are full of hubris. They, they just think they can get away with anything. And they can, and they think they're right all the time, and they're they're not going to look at what they're doing and say, "How have I done this wrong? What can go wrong here? How am I going to lose money here?" It's 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 almost like that kind of personality just doesn't work out as an investor. That people who are good investors, almost by definition, have to have a lot of integrity, a lot of personal integrity, to be willing to be that honest. And that careful about staying inside your circle. I think it's really also about the the practice, the love of 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 investing, of not even like investing, because that sounds like the buying and the selling, but the love of the research. Yeah. The love of the learning. The, the love not of so, the, like not right. the buying and selling. I and agree. for somebody who is there for the money and is, as you were saying, like they make the movies about the Wolf of Wall Street and the bonfire of the vanities and all the excess and the money and all that stuff. People who are there for that, and there are many of them, when the market drops and the bottom falls out and all of that goes away, they don't know where to turn. They don't have options. Right. They don't have a reason to do what they do anymore. And that's they, why we see some right. suicides. We see really nasty uh, stuff going on to like try to cover up the losses. We see a lot of this bad behavior. And I think for people who... I mean, you know, I haven't been through a horrible crash as an investor, so that'll be interesting. But I hope that I've been developing my love of the process and the practice so much more than the money, the buying and the selling and the making the money and the losing the money. I mean, frankly, that is not my favorite part. It's nice, but it's it's really a byproduct to the love of doing the research and reading and doing the practice. And so when the when the bottom drops out, and I've certainly like practiced this in my head to try to prepare for it, not being so attached to that outcome and being able to say like, let me just get back to basics here. Keep finding mm -hmm. the great companies at a mm -hmm. great price. There's a lot of them at a great price right mm -hmm. now. How do I get the cash to be able to buy them and move forward? I and think it, one of the best things It's not so much about self-worth at that point. It's yeah. about what we do. I think honestly one of the best things we do to help us keep our integrity is to keep our emotions under check. And and to do that by buying companies in tranches, by having some gunpowder left when the stock price is down 50% where you mm -hmm. can benefit from that drop in price. 
by you know knowing that you're doing your work right, that you're you're practicing this process of investing correctly, which means you own companies you're happy to buy far below the price they're at right now. So that when we have the next COVID thing, when the market's dropping like a brick, you know, which we we all experienced last year, you have enormous confidence in the positions that you already have, which are now going down by 30 or 40% in order to buy more right there. Mm-hmm. And step in right there, and to have we can the talk more about that. Let's, Let's talk do. more about that next time. Okay, okay, that's okay. good. So, meanwhile, you guys practice integrity, and integrity means what people see is what you are. You show them, show them who you are. You're effectively transparent, and be that person. Transparency yeah. is good. Be that person when you're managing money. God, who knew that being an investor was going to be such a mess of a thing? That it's all I about did. I how, knew. what you love and what you're passionate about and your own <laughs> integrity and growing as a person and being transparent. Dear God, I just wanted to make some money. All right. <laughs> Until Sorry. next time. <laughs> you get to change your whole life instead. Yeah. Okay. Who knew? <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See you Bye. guys. Time to go play. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.